Today on the Women Mind the Water podcast, I'm speaking with Genevieve Kramer. Genevieve is a mixed media artist who uses watercolors and digital illustrations to reflect her passion for the ocean and her creatures. Genevieve hopes her work will prompt concern for their survival. The Women Mind the Water podcast engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. It is with pleasure that I welcome Genevieve Kramer to the Women Mind the Water Artivist Podcast Series. Genevieve is a mixed media artist who lives in Hertfordshire, England. Genevieve's passion for the ocean developed as she learned to dive. Since those days, nearly a decade ago, Genevieve has dived in waters around the globe, including Indonesia, the Philippines, Spain, and Iceland. Genevieve's mission is to create work and encourages an appreciation of the natural world and support the world being done by charities to, a dif- to make a difference. Welcome, Genevieve. I am so glad you could join me on the Women Mind the Water podcast. I'm really looking forward to hearing about your journey as an artist and particularly as an artivist on a mission to support the ocean and her creatures. Genevieve, I looked up Hertfordshire on Google and see that it is not along the coast of England. How is it that you decided to learn to dive? No, it certainly isn't. Um, First of all, thank you so much for having me on today. It's an absolute pleasure, like you said, to connect with like-minded ocean women. Um, So I'm really excited about our chat today. But Yes, you are completely right. It is um, very much uh, landlocked, if you will. Um, I'm just north of London here in the UK. So my love of the ocean really started from quite a young age. Um, My parents are from mixed heritage. So my dad is actually from the north of the UK in Yorkshire. So for much of my childhood, we spent a lot of time on the rugged British coastline, which is really so diverse the the ecosystems can vary within a couple of hundred miles quite drastically um so i spent a lot of time as a young girl foraging through rock pools and wading into the water um, and i think that's where my fascination really started um and from there it only really grew um i grew up watching blue planet and of course jack Cousteau. um and so it's just that sort of fascination and passion was installed in me in quite a young age and i think that's really kind of been amplified in my adult life now. So how did you take up diving? So diving was something I discovered much later in life. I say still quite young. I was a teenager, but I wish I'd started earlier. Now looking back, um, I started when I was at university again in central London, I found out that there was a scuba dive club just down the road for me. And I just sort of this light bulb moment happened in my head that it just had never occurred to me. I didn't know anyone that was a diver. I'd never been diving or seen what it was like other than in TV and films. And it just hadn't occurred to me that it was something that I could try. So of course, as soon as I could, I called them up and I booked a session and sort of not really looked back since. Okay. Well, we'll get back to your diving soon, but first I want to talk to you about your art. Have you always been an artist? Um, I would like to say yes, although um, technically that's not my professional background, but I grew up really lucky um, because my mum is an artist. So even again, going back to my childhood, a lot of these things have been ingrained in me from a very early age. And, um, you know, when we weren't at school, it was sat in my mum's studio with a paintbrush and palette. um, 
and just drawing things that I could find in the garden. So I have only become a professional artist, I'd say about three or four years ago and um, working really, as you can see through my work is very environment and ocean focused. Um, and so yeah, no, I haven't always been, but creativity has always been a flare in myself and in my family and the people I surround myself with. Um, and I think it's a really important part of my identity. So whether it was painting something or textiles or photography, um, art has always been a big passion of mine. So what were you creating before you discovered a passion for the ocean? So my background is actually in theatre. Um, and so I'm a trained physical theatre performer and which is it's a very abstract form of theatre and it's more based on body language and the visuals behind it. So it's kind of that's where the idea that I really latched onto this concept of a universal language, which is, of course, what you find in art. You don't need it doesn't matter what background you're from, what language you speak. Everyone can find a way to connect to it. Um, and so for me. Although I studied it and I um, was part of a theatre company for a couple of years, I actually, my last final piece I did with my company was about the ocean. I happened to be connected with other performers that were also very passionate about it. And we did a whole piece that we toured around Canada and Germany um, and other parts of Europe that was about the impact of man on the ocean. And so I think from that point on, I started to really play with these ideas of how could I use some of my other skills to contribute towards the conservation of the ocean? So as an artist, what challenges do you face in representing the three-dimensional underwater world in a two-dimensional art form? And maybe you could talk about a specific image that you've created. And for those who are listening to an audio-only version of the podcast, can you describe the image? Absolutely. So for me, it, it may seem as a challenge from the outside, but for myself, when I'm creating, I always try to think of it as an opportunity because what I'm really trying to do with my work is captivate the audience of people who maybe aren't so connected to the ocean. So it is quite difficult when you think the ocean is such a vast place and it's filled with vibrant colours and textures and patterns. So I'm not thinking so much about the dimensional aspect, although I hope that what I create does have some kind of reminiscence of real real life qualities um i try to always paint things i work primarily in watercolor as well so it's really vibrant pigments and it's very fluid to work with again which is very reminiscent of the ocean but i always i always um use my experiences as a diver so um everything is always very vibrant colors for instance one of my um recent pieces that I'm working on at the moment which I haven't previewed on any of my social media yet is a very large scale hammerhead shark painting because they're very famous for schooling in very deep ocean blues and so for me it's I'm not so much worried about it being three-dimensional but more so really captivating the imagination of people who look at it so that does involve using vibrant colors I'm also a bit of a, um, a self-confessed perfectionist so I'm very focused on very small details if anyone's seen any of the videos I post anywhere um I'm often working with paintbrushes that are millimeters small um they're very very small um and I take great pride in doing that and I think often it's there's that fun in discovering new ways of looking at a species so you know some of them are very vibrant blues and stuff and it may not necessarily be how you would 
like say for instance a blue whale um or a humpback whale their skin is actually more of a gray texture um and gray color palette but I always try to make them look as vibrant as possible to sort of really entice people to want to learn more about them and um just be fascinated with them as I am right so it seems that many of your underwater animals you've created are blue in color rather than when you talk about vibrant colors. Yeah. Um, and of course, blue can be vibrant. And so I'm interested to know whether that is the way the creatures appear when you view them when you're diving, or do you use blue as a way to conceptually evoke the feeling that the creatures live in water? To be honest, Pam, it's a little bit of both because um, interestingly enough for any of your audience that may be listening, when you're diving, as you decrease in depth, you actually lose some of the warmer colour palette. So primarily red is the first one to go. Mm -hmm. So as you get deeper, a lot of these creatures, they they may not actually appear the same as when you were, if you were to bring them to the surface, which obviously you wouldn't want to, but if you were to, the colours are very different. So a lot of underwater photographers will use different filters and lights to combat this. But when I'm painting, I'm trying to invoke this sense of um, being underwater with the species. And blue is a very, it's a very emotive colour. And I think to a lot of people, it you know, it straight away connects to some body of water, um, like an image in your mind. So I do love to use the colour blue and I think it's such a um, it's such a powerful colour and it, it does really connect directly back to the ocean, which is what I'm trying to do with my work. Okay, I understand that. And for me, blue is the most powerful colour. So I agree. So I can't wait any longer. I want to know about your diving in Iceland. I've been there and I've also been to Greenland and I've kayaked there, but I never considered actually getting in the water. What is it like underwater and what sort of creatures live in Iceland? Wow, amazing. You've got one up on me. Greenland is still on my list to um, get to. But Iceland is a really wonderful place. It's actually the most different marine environment that I have dived in in comparison to anywhere else I have because Sadly, I didn't get to dive in the ocean, but what I did dive in is sulfur, which is the joining. It's a sort of a gap between the two tectonic plates. So there's actually no marine life there. There's nothing. And when I went, which was in December, um, the water was about minus one to minus two degrees. So it's it's very, very cold and it's it's not for the faint hearted. But the the draw there is obviously the the tectonic plates, which is quite a novelty. But it's um something that I'll always remember very fondly is just that the clarity of the water is like nothing else you've ever seen you know often when you speak to divers or snorkelers they'll talk about visibility and here in the UK visibility is very touch and go sometimes you can't see your hand in front of your face but sometimes you can see for maybe five to ten meters if you're lucky but in Silfra in Iceland you can see almost right to the other end of the body of water which is just absolutely incredible um it's certainly an experience i'd recommend a lot of people have because it's very it really in that moment you feel very present and you're very aware of your yourself in the water and it's a really lovely way to connect with that i would say that when it's that cold you are aware of your body i know i was kayaking in greenland in october and the surface of the water was just turning to ice so it was ice crystals and there were places where i had to take my paddle and dig in order to basically pull myself along so again i can't think about getting in the water so it's the coldest i think i have ever been in my life but it was totally worth it so what's caused you to think that the ocean needs your support um i think really that's 
my eyes have opened to the threats that are impacting the ocean through my diving experience because there's no better way to really understand the impacts other than seeing it firsthand um and you know you can for those people who aren't maybe connected to the water so much for a lot of people it's just news stories climate change and you know you even have people that are in doubt or in denial about the impacts but when you're in the water faced with um things such as the impacts of ocean acidification or plastic pollution there's no way you can deny it and it's a very big problem and it's over the near decade that I've been diving I have seen a drastic increase in that um so it's kind of become an impending almost feels like an impending doom that we just you need to act upon it otherwise you know there are a lot of things that will be gone before we have the chance to blink um which is a very sad fate but it's also a very inspiring um it's a very inspiring thing as well because it's such a there's such a sense of emergency and immediacy um so that's why my art is very much focused on raising awareness of different species and the plight against them and the threats that impact not just them but the environments that they live in too okay so i saw on your below and beyond art site that you collaborate with organizations like manta trust and shark guardian how do you decide who to collaborate with and what is the nature of your collaboration so for me it was my first collaboration that i made was with shark guardian and it came from a place of you know, I was at a point where I was creating a lot of art and illustrations, portraying different animals and species. And like I said, the threats that are impacting them. But it's that concept of how do you take that a step further? So that is by supporting different charities and, you know, whether that's through spreading awareness of their work. So illustrations or creating work for them to share, because sometimes it's it's tough for them to reach a broader audience when they're a smaller charity and um, but also I donate a percentage of my sales to the different charities that I partner with and I've been really lucky to make some really wonderful connections so far I think for me the way I choose the charities comes from a place of where I think there needs the most support so for instance there's a there's a really big when I started sorry going back a little bit when I started with Shark Guardian is when they were running a campaign against shark finning which was a very current issue and it was uh, impacting us not only here in the UK but globally um, and they were trying to get petitions signed to get it discussed in government um, so that's why I thought this is this is a charity I want to go to and see if I can pursue and help them further since then it's been a case of I I, I tried to actually work with far bigger ones such as Shark Guardian and Manta Trust I try to focus my energy on maybe smaller charities and um, organizations that maybe don't have that kind of almost I, I'm hesitant to use the word fame but you know that that bigger status um, so there are ones such as Thresher Shark ID which are based in Indonesia and it's a really localized small charity that are working with the problem head-on right there on their seafront um, so I, I'm quite trying to support them as well at the moment and I think the nature of my collaboration it varies a lot from different charities sometimes it is creating artwork sometimes it's donating money where I can through sales of my work, but also helping them with graphics and images to post on their social media to help broaden their awareness of different topics. Lovely. So I'd like to end by asking if you would offer three things that concern you about the state of the ocean and speak to what people can do to make a positive difference. I think there are, it's hard to pick three. I think the best way to put it is this is the time to act there's so much impact in the ocean that 
that's what's almost making this this issue and the threat unbearable is that all the threats are coming from every angle. So whether it is rising sea temperatures, ocean acidification, plastic pollution, environmental destruction. And so my advice to your listeners and people that follow me is to, you don't have to be an artist. You don't have to be a scuba diver. Think of the skills that you have yourself and ways that you can manifest them and use them in a way to support that. So you can, um, you know, say, for instance, if you're a runner, you can run a long distance and raise money for a charity that is doing work on the front line and support them. Or you can help reach out to charities. I think what people maybe sometimes don't see is that a lot of these charities, I've been really lucky and feel very honoured and privileged to have these connections. But it's something that anyone can do. They're all there waiting with open arms. You just have to send them an email and say, I'd really like to help. And most of them will welcome you with open arms and give you loads of resources in the different ways you can help. So there's also here in the UK, you can do beach cleans with many different charities. Um, The list goes on, really. And I'm happy to help and support anyone that would like further advice if they want to reach out to me on any of my social medias. Um, because I'm really enthusiastic and excited to see more people engaging. And that's, it's the purpose behind what I do is encouraging people to want to become more involved and learn more about the ocean too. All right. Well, stick around because I have a few questions for you. And I really appreciate that you made the time and were patient enough because we had certain technical difficulties. But I appreciate that you made the time to be on Woman Line the Water. And it's always a pleasure to meet another water woman. And you truly are a woman of the water. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Pam. It's been an absolute pleasure being on here and lovely to connect with you as well. Yes. So I'd like to remind listeners that I have been speaking with Genevieve Kramer for the Women Mind the Water podcast series. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com. Audio-only version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website, on iTunes, and also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the song, Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson.